0: hello and thank you for listening my name is James Schofield and this is a James Schofield Ministries podcast I am broadcasting from Pennsylvania I'm here on a wedding trip so I apologize if it's a little echoey but I did bring my portable podcasting equipment Today, I want to talk about something that we covered in the blog post this week, that uh, God wants you to work for it. But really, as long as you believe and you follow the commandments and you have faith, God will grant you whatever you pray for, right? I mean, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they had everything they ever needed, and all they really had to do was obey God in order to get it. Well, as great as that sounds, it's not really the God of the reality. Even when God put Adam in the garden, he still gave them a task. Adam had to take care of the garden. He had to mind it. Uh, We're told specifically the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. That was in Genesis 2.15. And uh, if it does sound a little bit different in these passages, we have switched over to the uh, Christian Standard Bible. Uh, just because it's a little bit easier to read um, than even the New International Version. So right at the beginning, you have our first man. And, you know, we always talk about in churches and how beautiful the garden was and how we wanted for not. And, you know, then we sinned and we got put out into the land and had, you know, basically struggles. But even in the beginning, God didn't just want us to sit idly by. He wanted us to watch and take care of the garden for him. Now God does want us to have everything we ever want or need. But he does want us to put the effort in to do it. How are we supposed to appreciate it if everything's just handed to you? We do see countless times in the Bible uh, that we can have what we want and God's willing to give us the tools to do it, but if you look really closely, how many times does he actually just give you what you want? Most of the time, he just gives you the tools to get you where you're going. Even when he does give us a gift, where we don't have to do any obvious work, it's more of a reward for either displaying some sort of honor or humility or wisdom, which in itself can take work, uh, such as uh, in the Old Testament case of Solomon. Solomon uh, becomes king uh, after David. And in doing so, God uh, comes to Solomon and he asks, basically asks him, you know, what you want. Uh, you know, what kind of desire do you have? I will grant you a wish. Kind of almost like a genie in a way. So God here is like a genie. And so Solomon could wish for power. You know, even though he's a king, he still might want more power. He could have wished for riches. He could have wished even for immortality. But Listen to this, this is what God or what Solomon wishes for. He wishes for wisdom. Now, if you think about that wisdom, yeah, I mean that that's a good thing to have, but you don't have any obvious gains with that. You know, just because you have wisdom, if, if you have wisdom and you're sitting in a desert with nowhere to talk to, with nothing to do, what's that wisdom gonna do for you? You know, wisdom is something that, it's a tool. It's not actually um, a benefit necessarily on its own. It's a tool to receive other benefits. So, when he asks for this wisdom, though, God, he, he gives him the wisdom in order to rule. But he also does something else. Because Solomon asks for wisdom, he even does still give him honor and he gives him riches. And this is because of the fact that Solomon didn't ask for anything just to be handed to him. He asked for a gift that would allow him to achieve the goals that he wanted to achieve. So that's pretty significant there to where even though God is granting a gift without any sort of, I guess, return on investment, for, for lack of a better term, Solomon still just asks for... Wisdom, and another thing too. If, if you go into uh, it's First Kings, uh, chapter three, verses uh, five through thirteen, it is this dialogue between God and Solomon, and Solomon in that kind of paraphrasing it, uh, the reason why he wants wisdom is because even though he is the king of Israel now, he still realizes that in the end he is still a servant of God, and it, it almost is um. A precursor, if you think about to when Jesus came and Jesus pretty much says, even though you know, the highest of the high of teachers is still a servant to his disciples. So Solomon is kind of displaying almost this messianic um, wisdom there as well by realizing, hey, I may be the king over all, but at the end of the day, I'm still a servant too. So it's very significant there where even asking for something that you'll get, um, whatever gift you're looking for, he still has the foresight to know, I can't just ask for riches because what am I going to do with that? Because if you think about it too, if he just asked for riches and he didn't have the wisdom to fully utilize those riches, I mean, in modern days, you can look up and see how many people out there have won the lottery and how many people just year, two, three, however many years down the line, and I'm bankrupt. Why? Because even though we get these riches, we don't have the wisdom to properly apply those riches. So it's a very significant moment, uh, at least in my eyes in the Bible, because it shows us that even though we can ask God for anything, it doesn't necessarily mean that we should. Um... Going into the New Testament, though, this may look like a little bit of a shift, but bear with me here. There's so many passages about Jesus walking down the street and people coming up to him just basically saying, Hey, heal me. I'm a leper. I need to be healed. Uh, My son has been stricken with this illness. Please come heal him. My um, brother has died. Come bring him back to life. Well, not necessarily saying to bring him back to life, but it's too late now. You were supposed to heal him. But then Jesus is like, no, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go bring him back to life. Well, this is kind of um, significant in that you think, okay, well, yeah, we're not doing any work then. We're just basically asking him. And I mean, really, all he's asking for is, hey, just believe I can do it. And sure, I will absolutely do it. So that doesn't really seem like a big deal. That just seems like, hey, I can ask for anything I want and I'm going to get it. Well, That's not necessarily true because when you, when you look at the Old Testament, a lot of what is happening there is very external. It's very, if you do this, then I will grant you this. Or if you get this done, I will do this for you. Most of it is external things. Even the sacrifices. You know, in the New Testament, there, you know, Jesus basically never says, hey, go sacrifice your sheep in my name, right? Um, and, but in the old testament, that's all what it is. You know, the sacrifices are external, the service, the serving is external. Now, all the work is external, but don't get it twisted because in the New Testament, you still have to work for whatever blessings you wish to receive, even from Jesus. In having these people come up to him and ask them for healing, or ask them, or ask him to be fed, or to come to their house. Anything, really, any blessing that they're seeking from Jesus, they're still doing work. And what I mean by that is they're doing internal work, okay? They're not going out and they're not, you know, working the fields or they're not necessarily, um, you know, in the case of Solomon, getting wisdom in order to rule people. No, they're developing a way to rule themselves in their hearts. Because you have to remember, when Jesus was on the scene, there were no Christians, You know, there wasn't these people who were saying, okay, this guy named Jesus is going to show up and let's start studying his teachings now. How can you do that? He's not here yet. So these people who are coming up to him for healing, they're Jewish. They were raised in the law. They were raised in external sacrifices to the Lord. They were raised um, to believe these things. They weren't raised to believe that Jesus... Was the Messiah? they were raised to be skeptical, really. I mean, if if you look at you know the way the Pharisees were and everything in the Bible, they were very, very skeptical and uh, skeptical of Jesus because Jesus was coming on basically saying, you know, look, here's everything that you learned before. I'm turning it right on its head and telling you you don't have to do that stuff. So by these people coming up to him, who are Jewish, and these people who are coming up to him who are Roman, even now these people obviously don't even didn't even know who the Messiah was because they had different gods, of course. So we had Romans and Jews coming up to Jesus and basically believing in him enough to, want, uh, to believe that he will heal them or will feed them. So this is kind of crazy because, I mean, how easy is it for you to, within minutes of meeting somebody, because mind you, these people literally are just now meeting Jesus. I mean, they've heard about him, they've heard that he can do miracles, but really at the end of the day, they're just meeting him for the first time. How many people can really say, without a doubt, that after meeting somebody within about five minutes, that they believe in them to do anything in the world? That they can move mountains, that they can heal the sick, that they can provide food, Everything that Jesus was able to do, these people were believing he could do within about five minutes of meeting him. That takes a lot of internal work. I mean, you're literally putting everything that you've ever believed completely on its head and starting completely over with your belief system. That's pretty significant there. I mean, even when you look at it through the eyes of um, with, with Jesus, when when he's talking about that, um, you know he, he again he's literally just asking people. He asks people two things as well, and this is another thing that where he gives us um, work that we need to do internally. Again, it's not necessarily a completely external thing; uh, it's a lot of internal work, and he gives us our great commandment which, obviously, if you're a Christian right now, you have, I'm sure, heard it a million times. Uh, if you're just new to the faith, or even if you know, you've know you never heard it before, it happens. Um, basically, this uh, the scribe comes up to Jesus, which a scribe back then was kind of like a lawyer, or basically somebody who studies the law. He comes up to Jesus in the uh, Gospel of Matthew, and he asks Jesus what commandment is the greatest. Because now, this is also a significant moment, because if you think about it, Yes, Moses had those Ten Commandments. Great, we have those. But if you really look closely, um, I mean, there's literally hundreds of commandments. And, and commandments, in essence, is, is is a form of law. So they had, like, hundreds of laws that you had to follow. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, you know, don't kill, don't cover thy neighbor. Yes, those were obvious ones. But then they even had certain ways that you were supposed to eat. They had laws regarding... Uh, debts, which a little bit of a tangent, um, the whole seven-year forgiveness rule is is really a Jewish thing. Um, every seven years, they would have this feast. And during that feast, they would um, forgive past debts, basically. So um, they had different laws around that. They had laws around what sacrifices you were supposed to make on what days. They had laws around who you're supposed to speak to. I mean, there was laws around everything. So asking Jesus, what's the greatest commandment, is like asking like me, what's my favorite chocolate? I mean, there's just so many out there. How, how am I supposed to choose? So Jesus, though, he answers this. And he, and he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment, uh, which is, uh, that's Matthew 22, verses 37 through 38. Now, that's easy enough because, I mean, you know, these people and and people uh, going on, they were taught to believe in, in God. They were taught to love God with their heart. I mean, it was a continuing, this almost exact phrase is said throughout the Old Testament. So, I mean, that's already ingrained in everybody. So, that's simple enough. That's not really anything that you're necessarily, I guess, working for because that's something that you just had ingrained into you. It's almost a habit at this point, right? But this is the next part that's so much more, I wouldn't say more significant because it's so much more, I guess, different than what you would normally hear. He says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's in uh, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. That single sentence, that command, that brings about the longest running work we're ever going to do. Now, I live in Michigan, okay? And I will guarantee you when I am driving, this command is the hardest thing I could ever imagine in my entire life. So anybody else who's listening who lives in Michigan... Can you say without a doubt that while you're driving, you're still loving your neighbor in the car that's in front of you? They're going 10 under the speed limit, right? Or the guy that's behind you, they're following so close that it's like your cars are basically a tandem bicycle. Okay, are you really loving your neighbors at that point? It's, it's, It's a very hard thing to work at. So that command is a lot of internal work. Loving, yes, loving somebody is an external, you know, you can display that love externally. But the love itself, actually genuinely having that love for somebody is an internal, completely internal thing. It has nothing to do necessarily, at least with the way that Jesus says it. It really doesn't have anything to do with that person. Outside, Okay? Because he's trying to say, love your neighbor. Well, who's your neighbor? Your neighbor's not just a person next door. It's not just a person in your neighborhood, as we know it. It's that Muslim that's going to mosque uh, that you're seeing as you're passing by down the street. It's the, the Jew that, you know, you're meeting at the grocery store. It's for me right now, I'm in Pennsylvania. It's literally everybody that I'm passing right now. Your neighbor is everybody in the neighborhood of the world, okay? So he's wanting you to love everybody. There's no stipulation to loving them. There's no love them as long as they're Christian. Love them as long as they believe in God. Love them as long as they're doing good deeds even. It's just loving, period. So that is a strictly internal thing, and it's something, again, like when I'm driving, it's very hard to love people. I will admit it. It's very, very hard. So even back then, This was a huge thing because this is back in the day when in the Old Testament, they're saying if there is an injury, then you must give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise for bruise, wound for wound in Exodus. And now he's asking them to love these people who are injuring them. He goes on even to say, you've heard it, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. That, that's another thing that Jesus says in Matthew. It's uh, chapter 5, verses thirty-two or 38 through 42. Think about that for a second. He's asking you to love people unequivocally, asking you not to retaliate, even asking where when they're suing you for your shirt, you say, absolutely, here's my coat too. So not only is he asking you to give to them, he's asking you to not retaliate, how many times has somebody been slapped, punched, pushed, anything like that physically, and you don't push back, and you don't punch? Like, it's instinctual. As humans, we are instinctual. We have that what they call that fight-or-flight mentality, where we either fight or we run away. Well, most of the time, a lot of us are thinking we're going to fight, Okay. He's asking you not to do that, or he's telling you not to do that. He's he's saying that that's basically a commandment. You don't fight. So how much internal work does that cause? That's so much internal work when, when you're really looking at that. And that's significant back then, and that's even significant now, because again, that's human nature. It's human nature to fight back. If somebody wrongs you in any way, you want to wrong them back. It's just... It would make you feel better. That's what you think. It'll make you feel better. There's justice in the world, everything. But he's saying, no, don't do that. Work within yourself to forgive. Work within yourself to, if somebody's demanding something of you, give them tenfold more. He tells you too, uh, he tells us later on as well, uh, after this speech, He goes, for if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? So right there, he's automatically saying that. and That that was still in Matthew. That's chapter 5, verse 46. He's basically saying right there, if you love those who already love you, what reward are you going to get? So right there, he's inviting you or, or saying, look, you have to put the work in. Because if you're loving somebody who already loves you, how much effort does that really take? Oh, yeah, they love me. Not that hard to love them back. So, he's asking you to love your enemy. He's asking you to love these people that are wronging you. That takes real work. So, the next time you pray, keep in mind that God wants us to work for it, whatever it is. If you want something, don't just ask for it. Ask for the tools and the guidance to get it. Not only will God get you what you want, you're going to appreciate that much more. Because knowing... That although God guided you, he gave you the tools, he also allowed you to be the one to accomplish it. It's not just him giving it to you. So I want to invite you the next time that you're praying to do that. Instead of praying for um, the riches, instead of praying for the house, instead of praying for that car, ask God to give you the tools to get that car or to get that house or to get those riches yourself. Once again, I'm James Schofield. This is the James Schofield Ministries Podcast. I want to invite you to rate and subscribe to me. Uh, We are available on every major platform. We're available on iTunes where you can rate and subscribe. We're on Google Podcasts, Google Play Music, uh, TuneIn Radio, pretty much you name it, and we're on it. Feel free to subscribe. Thank you again for listening. We'll be here next Saturday as well. And I do hope to hear from you again. And if you do want to leave any comments, feel free to do that as well. Uh, It's right on our homepage at SchofieldMinistries.org. If you go to our podcast section, you'll be able to see all the podcasts that we have going on. And if you download the Anchor app, which is uh, just type in Anchor in your Google Play Store or in your uh, Apple uh, Store, You'll be able to uh, leave us voice messages that we'll also be able to play on the next episode. Thank you again for listening, and I do hope you have a wonderful week.